Luke chapter 22, starting with verse 7. And it's entitled, The Passover with the Disciples. We read to verse 23. Verse 7 of 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house, that he may enter, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And they said to them, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this afternoon. Great to read also from your confession, a Belgian confession, Article 19. It's the two natures of Christ. We believe that by being thus conceived, the person of the Son has been inseparably united and joined together with human nature in such a way that they are not two sons of God, nor two persons, but two natures united in a single person, with each nature retaining its own distinct properties. Thus his divine nature has always remained uncreated, without beginning of days or end of life, filling heaven and earth. His human nature has not lost its properties, but continues to have those of a creature, It has a beginning of days. It is of finite nature. It retains all that belongs to a real body. 
And even though he, by his resurrection, gave it immortality, but nonetheless did not change the reality of his human nature. For our salvation and resurrection depend also on the reality of his body. But these two natures are so united together in one person that they are not even separated by his death. So then what he committed to his father when he died was a real human spirit which left his body. But meanwhile, his divine nature remained united with his human nature. Even when he was lying in the grave and his deity never ceased to be in him just as it was in him when he was a little child, though for a while it did not show itself, itself as such. These are the reasons why we confess him. To be true God and true man, true God in order to conquer death, by his power and true man, man that he might die for us in the weakness of his flesh. Our text verses in our Bible reading is from verses 19 to 20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you. It's the new covenant in my blood. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the two natures of Christ, it's very difficult to understand. And many got this wrong over the centuries. Apollinaris of Laodicea worked and lived in a city described in Revelations, the book of Revelation 3, the book, the city that was neither hot nor cold but lukewarm, argued that Jesus had a human body and a sensitive soul. And he took the word logos instead of a human body. And so the Second Council of Constantinople declared his view as heresy. The Alexandrian school emphasized the full divinity of Christ and the unity of his divine and human natures. And, but the Historius, the Archbishop of Constantinople, confessed the complete opposite then again. He denied that the two natures of Jesus was unified, and he declared, Jesus is not identical with the Son, but personally united with the Son, who lives in him, and he has only one nature, human. Many has adopted in our modern age as well. The new age, very much the same, also some sects in your newest time, like the Jehovah Witnesses. But a question, why should we know about these things, these heresies? What importance is the importance of this? The importance is the unity of our Lord's Church that is so important. The Lord who wants us to serve Him as he has commanded in his words. And we've heard earlier, Revelation 22, that we shouldn't take away from God's words. The Apostle Paul taught the same in 1 Timothy 3, verse 4 to 6. 
about false teachers. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with his godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, <coughs> evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are deprived in mind, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. It's so important to stand in the truth of God's word. And if we don't, it will produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and friction among people. But if you alter this, that's the confessions. And the confessions about the word and Jesus' godliness and human nature will also understand that our confessions were written in a time of persecution. Guido de Brea was imprisoned by the authorities about this confession, the Belgian confession. We can't say it was written in his own blood, but more, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was beheaded on account of his faith. In the midst of his struggles, the Brea wrote a confession in Article 19 concerning the divine and human natures of Christ. But in our age, people still ask about the relevance of Christ's two natures to the tensions experienced by the Brea in his day. Is the topic of the two natures of Christ strictly too academic? And is it relevant to the daily struggle of the believer? Every minister of God's word, church council, and also Gideon the prayer would say no, because it's our task to teach the congregation in the full truth of the scriptures the truth of God's revelation. And the revelation of God included Christ's incarnation, the doctrine that the, the Son became man, was born as a baby in Bethlehem, that Christ became man was not denied or disputed in the Brea's day. But what was disputed, though, was the interaction between the divine and human natures of Christ. We confess in Belgian Confession, Article 10, already that Jesus was true God. And the Guido de Bray said it as a testimony, the same as the Apostles. Jesus is God. Apostles were certain. Eyewitnesses according to 2 Peter 1. And through the word, Apostle Peter explained clearly who Jesus was and is. The Messiah, the Son of God, he was, was made Christ, that means Messiah. By the Father, Acts 2. But Jesus was also true man. No one challenged this in the history. That Jesus was man. Today still. You can read a lot about the historical Jesus. Even the greatest scientists and academics would not say that Jesus wasn't man. They accept that Jesus lived 
because the evidence is so clear, according to eyewitness account. That Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that Jesus was the oldest child of Mary, and his genealogy records, records the names of his ancestors. We know a lot about the historical Jesus who grew up in Nazareth, who grew in wisdom and stature. People who testify that he was human, he died with his friend, Lazarus' death. Cared for his mother, we've heard this morning, and he's risen. We confess in Article 19, and even though he by his resurrection gave it immortality, this is his body, that nonetheless did not change the reality of his human nature for our salvation and resurrection depend also on the reality of his body. And that's the emphasis. Jesus was true God and true man. That's the two natures of Christ in one body. Oh, Jesus can be true man and God simultaneously. We must admit, we cannot understand that in our human understanding. Because we are confronted by the limitations of the human mind. And when we are going further than the Bible, it's so human to add human emotions and human logic, then we get heresies. This is how heresies work in our modern time as well. That's why there are different churches, divisions among people. Luther, the great church reformer, got it wrong as well. And that's specifically with the two natures of Christ and with the Lord's Supper, which we celebrated earlier. Luther taught that Jesus' divine nature pervaded his human nature so that the character, characteristic of his divine nature extended to his human nature. That means that Jesus is everywhere present, bodily. means that Jesus was present through the bread this evening. That was Luther's argument. In that sense, Luther did not move away from transubstantiation from the Roman Catholic Church. That was his history. We confess that Jesus is present with the Lord's Supper. This is the comfort that the Lord is the host. That the Lord's Supper is not a human institution that we celebrate every month. That it was instituted by Jesus himself in Luke 22. But do we experience it like that? The host who invited us. And sometimes we must admit we do not always think about the Lord's Supper and the host of our Lord Jesus Christ that is present in the Holy Meal, but also the way he's present. Luther said through his body, so do the Roman Catholics. We say no. Jesus is present through his spirit. And Jesus invites and he commands, do this in remembrance of me. And so we do not always understand his presence. And we do not understand how Jesus can be present, but also in heaven. 
Therefore, there are misunderstandings. For example, that the bread and wine chains in the real body and the blood of Jesus, as Luther still believed. We use the bread and wine in understanding that Jesus is present for his spirit. And to understand Jesus' presence through the bread and wine, we need to understand the meaning of the, what the Lord's Supper is and what it is not. And it's given us a great example by the Lord to confess and understand. It's a sign and seals the two natures of Christ. With the Lord's Supper, Jesus wants us to understand that the Passover was fulfilled in Him. As all prophecies with the Lamb that needed to be slaughtered, the bread is His body, given to the redemption of our sins. His blood is the cup of thanksgiving, as we use this evening, and that's the new covenant in His blood. And the Lord wanted to make visible His divine grace and mercy. Now, Lord Jesus Christ, mercy, forgiveness. This is happening at every Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper is also a covenant meal. Fulfillment of the covenant, the new covenant in His blood, that we can only use the Lord's Supper because we are forgiven. And with a covenant which is an agreement, the Lord is the first party. He's here, He's present. And He shows with visible signs, the same as baptism, His grace and forgiveness in Jesus. And with the signs... This evening, the bread of life and the wine of forgiveness. And Jesus himself is the bread of life. And he worked the salvation. He will never leave. He told us that. He promised his disciples. I will never leave you. And he is with us for his spirit. And so the focus is very much on the ease of the Lord's Supper. We find this clearly in our passage, but also other passages. This is my body, which is given for you. The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 24. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <coughs> the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 29. We also confess what the Lord's Supper is not. How his presence should, shouldn't be understood. Question 78 of the Catechism asks, if the bread and wine are changed into the real body and the blood of Christ, it begins his answer with a clear and definite no. It stays bread and wine. And so we read in the last paragraph of answer 78, so too the bread of the Lord's Supper is not changed into the actual body of Christ, even though it's called the body of Christ in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. We also confess, no, the bread and wine are not changed into the real body and blood of Christ. But the Roman Catholics and Romans still confess, yes, and they also put very much emphasis on the word ease. And they make it very literal in their understanding of the presence of Christ. This is my blood which is given for you. The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is my body. Do this in remembrance. And according to Luther and the Roman Catholics, Catholics, the bread and wine are changed into the real body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we receive the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. 
It's dependent on our view of the two natures of Christ and what we confess about the natures of Christ in the Lord's presence. But above all, the view of Scripture. So Kiru de Bray saw this as his responsibility to teach his congregation in Dornik. We believe that by being thus conceived, the person of the Son has been inseparably united and joined together with human nature in such a way that they are not two sons, not two persons, but two natures united in a single person, with each nature retaining, retaining its own distinct properties. Thus, his divine nature has always remained uncreated without beginning of days or end of life, filling heaven and earth. His human nature has not lost its properties, but continues to have those of a creature. It has a beginning of days, it is of finite nature, and retains all that belongs to a real body. And even though he, by his resurrection, gave it immortality, that nonetheless did not change the reality of his human nature. For our salvation and resurrection depend also on the reality of his body. But these two natures are so joined together, united together in one person, that they are not even separated by death. And so Guido de Bray did not go further as the Bible in explaining how the one person of Christ could have had two natures. But what he did, he explained and refuted Luther's error <coughs> that each nature retaining its own distinct property. And we confess that Jesus is still present through the Lord's Supper. Jesus' natures did not change. We may ask, why does it all matter? It does. If Jesus becomes some, some sort of mixture of God and man, as Nistosia confessed, he wouldn't be really human or really God. And if this was the case, it would be no salvation. As our confession, as the Lord's Supper, seek to drill home at the end. These are the reasons we confess him to be true God and true man. In order to conquer death by his power, true men that he might die for us in the weakness of his flesh. And through the Lord's Supper we see Jesus in faith. We see Visibly, through the signs of bread and wine, how his body was broken, how his blood was spilled for us. And when we eat the bread and drink the wine, we also see in faith our, our sins are forgiven through his sacrifice on the cross. That Jesus conquered death, that Jesus is risen, that Jesus ascended to heaven, but we also see in faith that Jesus will come again as he promised in Revelation 22. That Jesus is in heaven, in his body, glorified body. But he's also present for his spirit. This is God. Jesus had to be human to save humans. And he had to be God in order to have the quality to save humans according to Lord's Day 6 of the Heidelberg Catechism, so that by the power of his divinity he might bear the weight of God's anger in his humanity 
and he earned for us and restored to us righteousness and life. We don't always fully understand how something works, such as the how the two natures exist side by side. But the Bible tells us the why. And we also have a knowledge of the what. Two natures, one person. And we must be careful to guard us, to maintain us, to confess this. Was it necessary for Gideon the prayer to defend us in a time of persecution and unrest? To defend the doctrine of the two natures in the one person of Christ? Given what was at stake, it certainly was necessary. But for us today, it also remains necessary to stay in what God reveals in His Word. Many people will say it doesn't matter as long as you believe in Christ. The Lord says if you take away one bit, one iota of the Bible, the plagues of revelation will come to you. The Lord also tells His gospel of salvation for sinners, and everything in the Word is written for a reason. And it remains necessary to defend the gospel. And we are urged by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6 verse to teach and urge these things. And when we stay in God's word, and when we teach his word, it brings unity, comfort. And it is a witness to the world. So the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you showed us visibly, how you can be present through your spirit at this Lord's Supper. That you are the host and we are your people. This is the new covenant of your blood. And we do this in remembrance of you, but also in the knowledge that you are here, Lord. That you enriched us and strengthened us through the sacraments and your word. Father, we pray that we will stay in your word, that we will study your word, know what we confess about your word, and accept it as humble children. Father, we thank you for all the difficult things in the word as well, so that we can grow in our faith. And we thank you for your wisdom and the wisdom of your spirit to reveal it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.